You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. can be described in one word. I've already said it a couple times. Oneness. Unity is oneness. Unity is a state of being one. It's a condition of harmony. Oneness requires oneness of inner heart and a purpose through possession of a common interest or a common life. Jesus is our common interest. Jesus is our common life. Bickering, not getting along. This is picture perfect of being separate. This is unlike what Jesus desires for us, which is to work together as Pastor Dave talks to us today. Jesus prays that we may be sold out to his truth, not the world's, because in those prayers of harmony with others, there's blessings. What does your heart, all that you are, say to others? Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 17. As he begins his message, Jesus prays for us. We are still in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, specifically verses 20 through 26. It's always great to get together and worship the Lord, isn't it? It's always great to sing His name, to sing glory to His name. You know, the Word tells us that He inhabits the praises of His people. He's here with us even now as we speak, so we are welcoming Him here. John 17, this glorious priestly prayer that Jesus has been praying for himself, for his disciples, and now he turns his attention to some of us who are closer to home. He starts to pray for us. So I'm going to read verses 20 through 26. John 17, beginning in verse 20, Jesus is praying. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them." So I like to study various different things. I like to study commentaries. I like to read different things on the Word of God. And I came across one of my favorite commentaries, which is the commentary by John Corson on the New Testament. And I picked out something that he wrote pertaining these verses that we're in today, and I would like to share that with you. He writes this, quote, 
such as powerful evangelist was George Whitfield, that 30,000 people would regularly attend his open-air meetings. So anointed and eloquent was he that history records orators and actors would come just to watch him. Charles Wesley, a contemporary of Whitfield's, was also preaching to multitudes at the very same time. Yet so diverse were their views of the men on certain doctrines They even took out advertisements in the newspapers explaining why they believed what they did and why they were, the other one was amiss. People thought they hated each other until one day a reporter asked Whitfield, tell me, Mr. Whitfield, do you expect to see Charles Wesley in heaven? Whitfield thought about it for a moment and he said, no. He is going to be so close to the throne, I'm going to be so far back I'll never see him. What was the point of this story? It has to do with what we're studying. The point of the story is that these very different doctrinal views, these men had different ministries, but they had one thing in common. They were both born again by the Spirit into a living hope through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And in that, they had a commonality. They were united They were one. So we now come to the end of this beautiful priestly prayer that Jesus has been praying and that we've got to look into as the Apostle John recorded the words of our beloved Savior. I said it's like standing on holy ground. It's like you're listening in. You're almost eavesdropping into a beautiful prayer between the Son of God and Father God between the Father and Son, and you're listening in. You're being privy to what is being said. And it's like, wow, do I really get to hear this? What a privilege that I can listen in as Jesus prays to the Father. And we've been looking at it all along. And remember how it began? Remember the beginning? They were walking on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. They were making their way through Jerusalem and Jesus had been talking to the disciples. They had left the dinner long ago and they were making their way through Jerusalem, as I said. And they came to a point where Jesus stopped and he stood in their midst and he looked up into heaven and he began to pray. He probably lifted his hands. His voice was probably soft yet very audible. And the disciples there listening to every single word and they were hanging on what the words Jesus was saying. And Jesus started out by praying for himself. He said, Father, glorify your son. I have manifested your name to those you have given me. And I have glorified you on earth. And then Jesus turned his attention to the 11 guys who had gathered around him. These were his guys. These were the ones that he chose. These were the ones that the Father had given unto him specifically for a purpose. And as he prayed, I pray for them. The disciples' ears must have perked up. They must have started drawing attention because now Jesus was no longer praying for himself, but he was praying for these men who had spent three and a half years with him, who had spent a lifetime and had given up everything to follow him. And now they were listening in as Jesus prayed to his beloved Father for them. What a privilege. What did Jesus pray? He prayed that they would be protected from the evil one, 
that they would be protected from the world. He prayed that they might be sanctified and then that they might be set apart from the world and the worldly views with all its trappings and with all its dangers. And then Jesus makes another turn. He takes another turn now in his prayer. And as we come to the end of it, he's going to pray for those who would believe in him through the words that would be spoken to them by the disciples. And that's where we pick up our study. Let's read verses 20 and 21a once more. Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone, speaking of the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one with us. Now it's time for our ears to perk up. It's time for our ears to be open and attentive. Because Jesus has prayed for himself. He has prayed for the 11 that were there with him. And now he turns his attention to those who would believe. Our ears should be thinking, okay, because I'm a believer, Lord, and now you're praying for me. I want to know what you're going to pray about because I need to hear this because now you're praying to me and I'm listening to you pray to Father God for me. And I'm listening to it. So our ears now to be ready. Our priest is making intercession for us. All who come to believe. Believe what? Believe that he is the Son of God. Believe that he is indeed God. Believe that he came to earth in the flesh as a man. He went to a cross and he died on that cross and he was buried and he was raised again on the third day. And eventually he ascended into heaven and is now seated on right hand of God the Father. Believe, trust. All who would come to believe and trust in the name of Jesus, all whoever will. So we are the focus of these six verses. We are Jesus' focus now, and he's focusing on us. Jesus prays, those who would believe by the words that the disciples would speak. What does this show us? Number one, it shows us that we know from past readings that the disciples are all going to fail. Peter's going to deny him. All the disciples are going to run off except John. But it also shows us that Jesus knew that it would fail, and he knew that their failure wouldn't be permanent. It would be temporary, and that they would come back. And Jesus is now praying for them that they are going to speak the word of God, and that all many, many would come in to faith through their words that they speak. He must have been talking about the book of Acts that hadn't been written yet, because this is exactly what happened. In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit falls upon the church, the 120 gathered in the upper room, They all began to speak in tongues and and, and different languages. The men think they're drunk outside. And Peter says, yo, these guys aren't drunk. And then he goes into this long sermon. And guess what? 3,000 people are added to the church. And then the very next day, 5,000 more are added. So exactly what Jesus is praying for is now going to come true. He's now going to come true. He prays, Father, that they may be one. They may be one. You and me, me and you, them and us together. Of all the things Jesus could have prayed for, for us, of all the things he could have mentioned, he could have asked for protection for us from the evil one. 
He could have asked for us to be separate from the world. He could have asked many, many different things, but he does not. He specifically prays for one thing and one thing only, unity. He prays for unity, that we all may be one. This is a huge prayer considering how diverse we all are. I mean, let's face it. We all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different nationalities. We all come from different places. Many of us come from different denominations. We all come from various places. But now here we sit with one thing and one thing only in common, Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. That's the commonality. So there is unity in our diversity. Jesus is praying for this unity. Notice that he's not asking us to all have the same doctrinal position on every issue. He's not asking us to agree on every single point. Good luck with that one. Can't even agree on a color for something. His longest prayer for us, his most fervent prayer for us, is that we would have unity. Unity can be described in one word. I've already said it a couple times. Oneness. Unity is oneness. Unity is a state of being one. It's a condition of harmony. Unity requires oneness of inner heart and a purpose through possession of a common interest or a common life. Jesus is our common interest. Jesus is our common life. Jesus is the common denominator that we all share, if you will. Think about this. The Apostle Paul of Tarsus, right? Martin Luther of Germany. John Wesley of England. And D.L. Moody of America all finding deep unity with each other, even though they are widely separated by time, space, nationality, education, and denominational differences. Think about that. They're all worshiping the Lord right now around the throne. Every one of them. Why? Because the fellowship they experience is of the true born-again believer. And that fellowship transcends all historical and denomination boundaries. What's the true basis for Christian unity? The true basis for Christian unity is the work and person of Jesus Christ on the cross and the death and resurrection. That's the basis for it. One of these days, we believe soon, unless the Lord tarries, we'll be at those pearly gates. We'll be up there in heaven. Now, when you get to heaven, don't expect him to say, all right, Methodists, you're in that line over there. Presbyterians, you're in that line over there. Uh, Calvary Chapel guys, you got to go way back there. Come on, you know, come on. Uh, you know. No, no, he's not going to say that. He's not going to say that because we'll all be what? One. We'll all be there together. And we'll be all around the throne room worshiping God in spirit and truth. I love that. There are no denominational boundaries. Jesus broke down that barrier through the cross. He broke down the barrier. He's made us all one in him by the cross. He takes this likeness of oneness and he compares it to the oneness between him and the Father. As you, Father, and I in me and I in you, that they might be one with us. 
Jesus already prayed for the disciples that they would be one as we are in verse 11. In John 14, 20, Jesus said, At that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Oneness. Oneness. Why would Jesus pray for oneness? What was the purpose of him praying for oneness that the disciples would hear? Well, I have a couple reasons. Number one, because Jesus knows that there is tremendous blessing in oneness. There's tremendous blessing in oneness. Look what it says in one of my most favorite psalms, a very, very short psalm. Psalm 133, the verse first. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. In unity. David draws our attention here to something he calls good and pleasant. A unity among the people of God. It's good because it reflects God's heart. And it reflects God's purpose among his people. And the unity among his people. It's pleasant because it makes life together as God's people so much more enjoyable, so much more pleasant than all those seasons of... My goodness. My goodness. I always say Christians are great, but we eat each other. My goodness. But the second great thing about unity is there's power in unity. There's power in unity. When God's people move in unity, when they are directed by the Holy Spirit as one, they can make a lasting impact on those around them, i.e. Pentecost. That's what happened. These people were all of one accord. No, they weren't sitting in a Honda. Don't go there. They were all of one accord. 120 people of like mind, all oneness, sitting around praying, and the Holy Spirit hit them, and boom, the church was born. And they were one. And the gates of hell won't prevail. But the main reason Jesus prays for unity is found in verse 21b, that the world may believe that you sent me. Unity, so that the world will believe that you, Father, sent me. That's the main reason. The main reason he prays for unity is to give a world a clearer, a more a sharper, and a united witness of the truth. You know, we should ever be conscious of our witness to the world. We should ever be aware of how we are presenting Christ to the world. We should ever be aware of our witness. It's interesting that when we studied 2 Samuel, when the prophet Nathan rebuked David for his sin with Bathsheba, he said, for you have given the enemies of the Lord cause to blaspheme. We are all witnesses, whether we like it or not. We are all witnesses. The question remains is, what kind of witness are we? What kind of witness are we? Are others convinced of the truth of the gospel by the way I live? My prayer is that they would be. Or are they prone to doubt the gospel and blaspheme because of the things I do? Jesus prayed for unity so that the world would believe. So that the world would believe. See, loving one another as Jesus has loved us. 
living together in harmony, not bickering and quarreling amongst ourselves. These are things that are impressive to the outside world. If the outside world sees Christians bickering and arguing with each other, tearing each other down, they're going to say, why would I want to be part of that? Why would I want to be there? That's not of Christ. See, here's the problem. The world cannot see God, but they can see Christians. And we represent God. We represent God to them. And they watch us. Trust me on this. They watch. And according to what Jesus is saying here, what they see in us is what they believe about God. Should they see love and unity? They'll believe that God is love. However, if they see hatred and division, they will reject the gospel message. Jesus said, some will believe through the message of the disciples because of their witnesses. But we must make sure that our witness is both true and living. Our witness must be true and living. You've heard it said that you might be the only Jesus that people ever see. You've heard that old cliche. You know, the what would Jesus do movement and all that kind of stuff. You know, what are you, what are you showing them? What are you what are showing the world? What do they see when they see you? When you deal in business with them, when you make up cards that say this and say that, when you go here, when you go there, when you do certain things, what do they see? Do they see someone truthful? Do they see someone who is dealing with them honestly and loving them? Or do they see somebody trying to slide something on them, being a shyster, trying to work around them? What do they see? That's what Jesus is talking about. And then he prays that the church would be marked by his glory, marked by glory, his glory. Let's look at verse 22. And the glory which you gave me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. As the Father shared his glory with the Son, so now the Son shares his glory with us. How? How does Jesus share his glory with us? How does Jesus now share his glory with us? Well, for one thing, we have his presence. Wherever two or three are gathered, he appears in their midst, correct? That's what scripture says. Guess what? He's here right now. He hears right now. He knows exactly what's going on in your mind. Uh-oh. He gave us the glory of his word. He gave us the glory of his spirit. He gave us the glory of his power, and he gave us the glory of his leadership, for he is the head of the church, the head of the body, and we are with him. He's given his presence in glory. This is the very reason why believers should love one another and live in unity, because we share his glory. We belong to the same family. We are of the same father. We are all one. We are family, and nobody starts sister sledge on me. We're not discoing here yet. We seek the same work. Why did Jesus come to the world? To seek and save the lost, right? Well, has he not given us that charge? Has he not now given us that charge? So we're doing the same thing. We're seeking and saving the lost. We believe in the same truth, even though we might even have different doctrinal issues and different doctrinal standings. We believe in the same major truth. People get angry when I say this, and that's why I always say it. You are assured. We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. 
There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you. And if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Assure Hope.